0: Beautiful people and welcome to the very first episode of wildcard conversations where I let the universe decide what my guests and I are going to talk about the concept is pretty simple at the beginning of every episode I pull a random conversation starter card and let it all unfold from there. And I could not have asked for a better first guest than my beautiful friend, Jamie, who is not only a great entertainer and always spreads love the Brooklyn way, but she also was very vulnerable, honest, and really generous with the stories she shared. There were tears, there was laughter, and we talked about everything from choosing to love your partner during a crisis, what it's like to be a Black family in a white town, and how to give one another love and grace as we all grow together and make mistakes. I do want to give you a heads up here that Jamie also discussed the loss of her premature baby. So if that's something that's hard for you to listen to right now, you may want to skip this one. For everyone else, I hope you find joy and value in this conversation. And if you want to connect with Jamie, her Instagram handle is in the show notes. And of course, I'm going to ask you to hit those five stars, leave a written review and do whatever you would do to support a small podcast thank you so much for tuning in thank you for listening and now without further ado please sit back relax and enjoy the show okay jamie welcome to the pod hey feel welcome hey girl before we get going i just want to give the people the listeners some context on who you are how we met how we know each other what connects us so the year is 2004 I come to Brooklyn to to go to college and I was all up in the basketball, hip hop culture. And so spend a lot of time in the cafeteria between classes, between practice. (laughs) So just to let the people know, St. Francis College, where we went, shout out to St. Francis, doesn't have your traditional campus. It's one building in the middle of Brooklyn. Everything centers around the cafeteria. And so wherever there was singing and dancing and laughing and acting (laughs) a fool, it was Jamie right in the middle of it. There I was. You had the men's basketball team wrapped around your finger. You were just a little bit the hype girl (laughs) for all the sports. You had a beautiful voice. You probably still have a beautiful voice. Thank I you. think you sang the anthem once or twice, right? At our game. I
1: did. Yeah. I was asked to do that a couple of times. Wow. You have a good memory. 2004 seems like eons ago. Yes. Like forever. But yeah, everything that you said is 100% accurate. We met, obviously, remember that hoodie that you were that says I'm six, eight, don't ask me or something like that. Yeah. And I remember you, me, Margie bonding over just, you know, like just a common bond of hip hop and sports. And to this day, you are one of my fondest memories, um, one of my greatest friends from that period of my life. I still remember uh, having a, uh, what is it, a Dell jukebox, I think it was. It before iPods were a thing. And I remember like being in a cafeteria, playing all these different songs on my, my new laptop, which now looking back, I'm like, that joint was as heavy as a brick. <laughs> but yeah, we had a good time. We had yes. a good time. It was such a good, carefree time. And yeah, I, I love all things song and
0: dance and laughter. So
1: yeah, that yes. was a good memory.
0: Yes. And then I, you know, we just stayed connected through social media because we really haven't seen each yeah. other in person. I don't at maybe, all. Maybe, maybe we bumped into each other at an alumni. No, thing. we've never. You saw my husband before As- you saw me. But I think we have this this connection that seeing each other on social media and just a simple comment supporting each other on there has us still connected. Yeah, it fostered our relationship. And
1: I'm grateful for social media for that very reason. Specifically, like you sent me today a snippet of a status I wrote 13 years ago. How old am I? I'm 37 this year. So whatever that was, 13 years ago. And it just shows you like we we've always been connected, because even despite distance and, you know, going our different ways, we still like bonded and thank goodness for being able to catch up with you on social media. And so I'm just excited about talking to you and just sharing these memories and new memories and, you know, kind of just sharing in general.
0: Yes. Okay. I'm so excited. All right. Well, I want to jump right into it. So I have these cards with questions on them and I don't know what's Mm -hmm. on them. I randomly selected them today. I pre-selected them a little bit to make sure there's nothing stupid on there, but they're (laughs) random. I don't know what's on them. We're just going to jump right into it. If you're ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. Right. Question number one. Was there ever a moment when your life changed course because of an action you took? What was it? Oh,
1: That's a good one. There are several, but let's see a moment that my life changed course because of an action that I took. I would have to say, yes, that was the moment that I met my now husband. And I like, it's a, okay, let me explain. He and I had known each other our entire lives, right? We, we grew up together. We grew up in church together, actually. So our families knew each other And of course, you knew me, so you already knew I had a type, right? Your basketball playing, 6'4, 240, muscular build. I mean, however, life for me took a different path. I ended up having Miles at 24 years old. And at that point in my life, I think my complete, like my thought about who I wanted and what I wanted changed. And it was the moment that I decided to let go of my checklist or my, You know, I still have my non-negotiables, but my, he has to be this, he has to be that, he has to be this. That that was the moment that I allowed my husband to come into my life, who is four years younger than I am. So there was already that, like, piece. So I would say that moment was pivotal in who I am now. Um, I think we've been married eight years this year together for 10, which uh, would not have happened if I would have continued to seek that type, that person who I thought was what I wanted or what would have fulfilled me. So my life has taken on a completely different direction. The things that my husband and I have done in the last 10 years or experienced cannot compare to to probably what it would have been if I would have continued to hold on to that, this is what I want, or these, that you know, he's, he's and, and just in comparison, let me just verbally tell the people wh- how he's different. He's 5'7", 160 pounds, and wiry. But he's the most attractive, most beautiful man I've ever met. I think that I say this to people and they go like, really? I remember when you were. And I was like, yeah. But when, you have, when you've met that person, you know that that person is the most beautiful thing you'll ever see. Doesn't matter what they look like or what changes you've gone through. So I think it was the moment that I let go of my, this is what I want and making that change is what led me to where I am now. Does that make sense?
0: No, it totally does. So mm-hmm. you guys knew each other from church still you were yep. in each other's lives. So was he like mm-hmm. actively pursuing you and you kept turning him down. And then one day <laughs> you just said, you know what, I'm going to go out on a date with you. Is that how it went down? So that's a good question. So let
1: me give you like a brief synopsis because this love story could take forever trying to get to it. So at the time, Kesley and I always been friends like I said he's four years younger than I am so when I was already in college he was in high school so he used to say like one day girl I'm gonna take you out on a date I'm gonna <laughs> take you out on a date and I was like sir you're 16 I need you to leave me alone you know what I mean and of course like it was there was just always just like this mutual friendship respect um, because again I was older than he was and you know like at some point in your life the gap doesn't matter but when you're 16 and 20 it's definitely uh, a different dynamic. And I remember when I was working at Crate and Barrel, and he was working at Whole Foods. He would buy me cherries. I don't, folks know that I love cherries. I eat them by the pound. And he would buy me some really good cherries. And he'd be like, hey, he hit me on BBM and be like, hey, can I, can I meet you? <laughs> can I meet you to drop these things off? And I was like, uh, sure. And then I'd stand him up. A number of times, like I take his lunch break, clock out, come to see me, and then I wouldn't respond to his messages. And then long story short, one day we were at church. I was holding my then newborn son and he said to me, hey, I want you to meet my girlfriend. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. Like, no problem. And he introduces me to his girlfriend as X which is the person's name. Let's call her Sally. Sally, this is Jamie, my future wife. And Jamie, this is Sally, my current girlfriend. Wow. And I thought it was the wildest thing because she didn't even flinch. And I was like, hmm, okay. And then he proceeded to help me take off my high heels as she held my baby. It was the wildest thing. Anyway, I continued to like brush him off for years, I think. Yeah, just about because- it wasn't until Miles was two and he had asked me to go on a date at this time. I think he's about 23 and he asked me to go on a date and I'm like, "Uh, I'm sick. No, I said, Miles is sick.
0: How <laughs> oh, <laughs> convenient.
1: <laughs> I said, Miles is sick. I can't do it. And this is, I think, when Instagram was like just getting hot. It might have been like 20 2012. And I said to him, yeah, I can't. And so he posted on Instagram, a picture of him and a Twigram of him, like that said, who wants to meet me for Starbucks. And then the following photo was a picture of him and another girl holding two Starbucks cups with their names on it. And I remember like dropping the phone and I'm like, why do I care about this? Like, why do I feel this way about this guy who I'm not interested in at all? And I remember sending him a text message and I was like, I need you to come over here right now. I'll be ready in like half an hour. And he's like, yeah, but I'm out with, and I was like, yeah, exactly. Like, I'll be ready in a half hour. And so it was at that moment that I knew that I genuinely liked him, but I was so caught up in what I thought was what I should have or what people would think about me being with somebody younger, somebody who was probably not my, tight so uh yeah he pursued me he still pursues me <laughs> he would say he doesn't but he but he did he he pursued me for years before we ever became a thing
0: oh that is one hell of a love story yeah it is and it's the cherries and the bbm (laughs) you just just aged yourself with the bbm yeah
1: i was like uh and i used to i remember my status used to be at the great crate till late and i remember like changing my statuses to sub people that was a that was a good time sidekicks and bbm
0: i love that go kesley (laughs) that's awesome no that's interesting for you to to having to consciously say i don't care that he's Four years younger. I don't Mm -hmm. care that he's not six, five. I don't care that he's not a baller. And just for the record, I cared a little bit. Tesley is a very handsome man. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna hold
1: you. My husband is one of the finest men that I know. And it took him some growing into those looks, you know, because at first it was, (laughs) but. I just want to say for the people out there, yes, my husband is fine. He's not 6'5 and a baller, but he definitely gives me, you know, he, who people tell me he reminds me of, Lance Gross. People say he looks like Lance Gross um, all the time. They send me pictures. They're like, oh my God, I thought this was Kessley. And I'm like, "Mm, I know he's fine and everything, but that's not him. (laughs) But anyway, I I digress.
0: (laughs) So I want to talk about the four years, because I was just talking uh, the other day with someone about age differences and how like you said when you were 20 and he was 16 that was mm-hmm. unthinkable and then when you yeah. were 27 cuz you know when we're 27 we feel so mature and so grown up yep.
1: we're an adult
0: and anyone under 25 is a baby to us still that's it <laughs> so when how long did it take for you to feel like okay it doesn't matter anymore was it Was it when you made that decision or did it take some years for you to feel like? Oh, It took a long time
1: because I think even in the first two, I mean, Cassie proposed to me when we were, I think, less than two years of dating. And so even at that point, I was like, does he know what he's doing? Like, it would always come up, right? Like he would mention something about 2006 and I'm like, oh, wow, I was a junior in college. And uh, he was like, oh, wow, I was a you know, a junior in high school, <laughs> and so we had that age gap for quite some time. And I think it wasn't until our focus became once he became my fiance. It so it took a while. So I think two years in, um, once we started planning our wedding, I was like, "This is going to happen. This is my person. This is who I'm going to be with forever." So I can either be stuck on the fact that yes, he is four years younger than I am, and there are things that we do not have in common, i.e., friends and choices of music, and sometimes things to do, social activities, you know, I had to let go of those inhibitions and being like, well, this is it. You know, we still have moments where it's just like, Why do you want to do that? Why can't we just stay home? Like, but I, I have to realize that my husband has just turned 33. You know what I mean? He's still in his, in his prime. And even when we were like our first dates, like we went to, we did, and you know, I'm grateful for them because it took me outside. It it took me for what I was not used to. Our first dates were like go-karting or Dave and Busters or a concert in the park those were things that I was not used to at my age. I had already been used to like Capital grill. We're going to go to see this movie, like really grown up. Sem- well, I, well, what I thought was grown up, like, you know, semi-romantic things. And Kessie really just taught me like, yo, chill. Don't take yourself so seriously. Like you're not old. Like, you know, just like, relax, you know, and the mom and me, because obviously at the time when we were dating, I was parenting. And so that was a whole other dynamic. So seeing him with Miles, even though like it took some time for them to foster a father-son relationship. I mean, now Miles is like, that's my dad, you know, but early on he was 23. He didn't know anything about parenting. And so as time progressed and seeing them, seeing how he loved Miles, at that point, I was like, I don't, you don't need to be a certain age to be, to love somebody or to know that they're good for you. So it took a little bit. Um, we still have those moments of mismatch energy where I'm just like, why are you so like energized right wow, now? He's like, so hype right now. <laughs> Yeah. Like why are you so high? Yeah, exactly. Like he's a people person. I am, um, I'm also a people person, but I think as I've gotten older, I enjoy being in. Introverted extrovert. Like, I like this talking to people one on one and having small group conversations. Kessie likes it to be a mosh pit where he is floating amongst thousands of people and everybody is chanting, Kessie, Kessie. That's still his vibe, but it works for us. It makes it, it gives us a fair balance where we both are we we meet each other's needs like I I mean I bring out the side in him that needs to be chill sometimes and he brings out the side of me that just needs to let go of like oh I gotta be so serious I gotta be like an adult all the time and we just have a good time so it's it's a good balance the age gap brings about a definite balance that I think we both needed
0: he brings back the boombox Jamie from the cafeteria that's (laughs) <laughs> listen he don't he don't ever think that
1: I that I was like fun like he tells people all the time like Jamie's so boring like I can't imagine really? and like Lauren yeah like Lauren will remind him or like you know somebody will remind him like you know Jamie used to be like xyz and he's like please I can't believe it but anyway I- you know and now we have this posterity that says that it's a fact <laughs> there we
0: go so Was there ever a time in in your marriage that you had a major crisis where you thought you weren't going to make it? Yep. Absolutely. Um, I think there
1: were several times, but specifically, and, and it's funny that you mentioned that because we were just having this conversation yesterday about this particular situation. And in 2017, we, all right, so just give you some backstory. When we got married in 2014, we decided we were going to wait a little bit to continue to expand our expand our family because we wanted to just be married for a while. We had already had Miles as, you know, be, like parenting him and navigating the co-parenting space. Um, so we just wanted to give ourselves some grace and not just jump into like expanding our family right away. We had also gotten an opportunity to move to New Jersey where we are now. And just in general, like, you know, you go through the ups and downs of being married. Like I can tell you right now that there is no perfect marriage. There's no perfect relationship. And we've had our fair share of hard knocks. And some of them have stemmed from things that he's done. And sometimes it's things that I've done. However, in 2018, 17 or 2016, the end of 2016. I think it was around the time that the train crashed or something like that. Anyway, that's a whole other story. But we decided, like, okay, you know, it's been two years. Let's think about having a family. And because I had PCOS, I knew that it wasn't going to be super easy to conceive, right? Um, Miles came at a time in my life when I was like super healthy, super thin. Even though I had PCOS, like all the factors aligned for me to be able to have him naturally and healthily. But I was older in. 2016. And I knew it was going to take some time. So we started seeing a reproductive endocrinologist and we got the facts and he was like, you guys are both healthy. Your genetic profiles say that, you know, there's nothing for me to be concerned about. So you guys should just go ahead and try, like try and do X, Y, Z. And if that doesn't work, you know, we'll start some intervention. So I think we were going to embark on, um, we had tried for like three months and then we were going to embark on like, you know, taking supplements and doing all these different things. And then we just kind of just were like, you know, let's just chill and let's see if it happens like organically naturally and in April of 2017 we found out that we were pregnant and it was a complete surprise to the both of us I even remember like the day that I found out that I was pregnant he was sitting here talking on the phone with his mother and I like went upstairs because my boobs are hurting and I remember telling him I remember doing something stupid like signing to him like across the room because he was like on the phone with. I was like I'm pregnant I'm pregnant. And he yelled out, he's like, "Mommy, Jamie's yelling something with some stick in her." Hand. And I was like, "Like, shut up. Like, don't say anything." And of course, we took a million tests and we were so excited to find out that we were pregnant. And it just so happened that my appointment for my first sonogram was on my birthday. So, it was like a really special time, really special birthday. And so we were super excited. Immediately we got into planning mode and we were like, "You know what? This is going to be awesome." You know, we had we, we were facing a mountain of issues in 2016, just like personal relationship issues, things that couples go through. Right. And um, it felt like it was a, a new time, like a new beginning for us, you know, knowing that we were going to be parents again. But in this way, that was like biological for him. And for me, it was the second time around with actually having a partner to support me. And, you know, it was like a, it was like a happy time. And our pregnancy from the beginning was a little rocky. I had hospital visits. I would be like spotting. But overall, baby was always good, always healthy. So, you know, we just took each day as it came. And then somewhere about July, um, I had been traveling a lot for work. I was traveling to California. Um, And at this time, I don't think I was, I I wasn't yet six months pregnant. So I was still like Fairly agile and moving around and doing a lot. Um, I had my doctors didn't give me any concern for like, oh, well, you need to like sit down. You need to just like chill. And I remember coming back in July and like, ah, something is not right. Like, I don't feel great. And we went to the doctor and they told me, well, you have these fibroids that are sitting right next to baby, but you know, it's common. Like we don't ever, we rarely see any issues as long as they're not taking baby's blood supply or, you know, competing with each other, you should be fine. So in August, one day I really didn't feel well at work. I remember telling my boss, like, hey, I don't feel well at this time. I think it was like 22 weeks pregnant. So just about the six month mark, a um, little over five months and she was like okay go ahead so I get on a train I'm having these contractions I call Cassie like hey I need you to meet me at the hospital he's like sure he meets me at the hospital I wait in labor and delivery for a while the folks are trying to poke and prod and find out what's going on they can't find anything Um, they do some exams and they're like yeah you're a little dilated but nothing that we should be concerned about for context with miles I was four centimeters dilated by the time I was 30 weeks so it was pretty natural for my body to just be doing that but I tell them like I don't feel well like this doesn't feel good and so they tried everything they did all the scans all the sonograms and they couldn't see anything that would be affecting me so they recommended that I stay in the hospital for the weekend so I stayed in the hospital for the weekend on IV fluids and they discharged me they were like you're good to go baby's healthy everything is fine that was August 18th of 2017 and the following week I told my boss like look I can't come back into work and she was like fine stay home you're all good and then I One day I I couldn't get off my couch and Miles and I watched the Food Network all day. And I remember saying to him like, Miles, I don't know if this pregnancy is going well. And of course, Miles is like seven or eight. He doesn't understand anything. And I say, I'm not going to bother Kesley because it's been such a tumultuous pregnancy already. And like, I don't want to overwhelm him. So I'm going to just like keep this to myself. So I laid on the couch for the entire day. I remember taking miles to some soccer practice. And then I went to another thing and I sat through it. And at 10 p.m. I came home and I was like, I don't feel well. Well, apparently my baby was coming out. He was down in the the, uh, birth canal. And I could feel him, but like I like it was surreal to me that this was happening. Anyway, fast forward, we ended up going to labor and delivery, and I had an emergency C-section and myomectomy. He was born breathing and born at one pound eight ounces on August twenty-fifth. And I remember, well, I don't remember anything. It's extremely. Traumatic event for Casley because he lived it by himself. He took Miles to the hospital with us. So somebody came to pick up Miles and he stayed there in a waiting room at about 2 a.m., just like trying to figure out. My cesarean went from, it's supposed to take like, I think, like 30 to 40 minutes, ended up being two hours because I lost a lot of blood. I had several transfusions. And um, of course, the baby had to be rushed to the NICU because he was only a pound, eight ounces. So In that entire process, a totally unexpected, trying to navigate issues that we were already having. And now like transitioning to this other space where we're like, okay, now we have a premature baby. You've just had a, a major surgery, abdominal surgery with the potential of wanting them to do, they wanted to do a hysterectomy because I had so many fibroids at that time that they were almost disfiguring my, my uterus. And so fast forward a couple of weeks, Kai lives up to two weeks old. He's two weeks old. And unfortunately he went into cardiac arrest and he passes away on September 5th. And the minute he died, our dynamic changed. And it was because nobody tells you what child loss is like. You don't, Nobody knows what that's like, right? Like, so we were grieving, but we're trying to be positive. So the next day, the, September 6th was Miles' first day of second grade. And I remember like we had always taken him to school together on his first day of school. And I remember us getting up out of the bed, eyes puffy and swollen and not having really slept much because we just left our son in the morgue and get up and we take Miles to school. And it was at that moment that I knew that our dynamic had completely shifted. My husband, the thing that was reconnecting us is now gone and my mental and physical focus was no longer on my husband. It was just trying to get up and take a shower every day. So the months to follow my son's death, um, you know, after his funeral, I remember us just trying to, like, make a go at this and like make it work. But he was completely detached because men grieve differently. I I knew that I needed therapy. So I actively pursued that. I was pumping breast milk to donate to uh, a milk bank. And I remember him being like, why are you still doing that? You know? And I I didn't understand for him like what he meant, but I knew that for him, it was a trigger, right? Like, so Mm -hmm. we just, we went through a period of intense like feelings where we just didn't know how to process. And it was grief and it was angst and it was a lot of things. And I think we made the decision back in 2020 to get like, it's the the height of the pandemic to get a divorce. Wow. Like we, yeah, we definitely, we didn't, we couldn't withstand it. At that point, it had been several years since he passed. We could not get pregnant again. Um, One, under the advice of doctors, because they advised you to wait like 18 months to at least, um, because my surgery was so severe and there were a number of incisions that they did, they wanted it to be healed completely just to, you know, avoid the risk of uterine rupture. And so anyway, we didn't get pregnant. We, then when we tried to get pregnant, we couldn't get pregnant. And then there was that like, thick wall of just like, well, what do we do now? We're married and I don't have a biological child and you have, and I'm taking care of this son that is not technically mine. And it was a lot, it was a lot. And, you know, hindsight, I can see how that would affect him mentally. And, you know, and then there was a pandemic, right? So, so yeah, we made the decision to get a divorce. Uh, We decided to see a divorce mediator and in those conversations with the divorce mediator, we started to uncover other things that were huge factors in why we felt the way we felt, aside from grieving the loss of a child that we barely got to know. And somewhere along the way, um, I think it was my birthday, he was like, I need you to decide to love me or not, but I can't be in limbo. And I I was like, uh, what do you mean? He was like, we're in a holding pattern, right? Joy doesn't live here. Neither of us feel that for each other. So we're either going to decide, like, we're going to mutually just, like, separate and just decide, like, we're going to go our own ways and be healthy because nobody wants to be with somebody that, you know, causing them this level of stress. Or he was like, we're going to try, like, mad to make this work. And we're going to do all the hard things. And for, for somebody who's four years younger than me to say those things to me, because I knew that I wanted to be in a relationship, but I at that point, I just didn't care to, like, I didn't want to fight no more for it, right? And so for him to say that to me put me in a different space where I was like, this is not comfortable. I don't like this dynamic so heck i'm willing to try if that's what makes it work and we went through these intense we we played this game called the ungame it's like a series of like conversation starter cards and we did it for 45 minutes a day when you don't want to talk to somebody 45 minutes is a long (laughs) time right like when you don't want to be friends with someone like we weren't even in the talking space like and we did these things and like the card would say something like what are your biggest fears you know like or are you happy right now and you're not allowed to respond like you can read the card to the person and they can say what they want to say and then you have to move on like you can't say like but and then So that was our first attempt at, like, open communication and, like, really being honest with each other. And I had to hear very hard truths about myself that I didn't want to hear or that I, I wasn't interested in. And, of course, there were times when I said things to him that he was like, really? Like, that's how you feel about me? And so it's been a work in progress. And I say that 2020 was the best and worst year of my marriage. It was hard, ugly work. It made, it put us in a space where we were literally, I liken it to like grieving the loss of a loved one. Like we felt like we were in constant mourning. Nobody was happy. Um, And we just, one day, I think we, we, we don't even remember when we crossed this threshold, but it became so beautiful, Kat. It became so beautiful. And don't get me wrong. I still want to kill him at least 30 times a week. There's no, there's no difference in that. But he became or he was trying to become a different person. and I saw that. I mean, we still argue. We still have arguments over simple things, and then there are things that we still, for example, his he likes when he when we're arguing, he likes to go into his shell and he will shut down. There's no communication, there's no nothing. Those spans used to last a week. now they last more like, a day, <laughs> two days, you know what I mean? So we still have those issues. But um, yeah, I tell people that t- 2020 saved my marriage. The pandemic saved my marriage. I don't know if that's a, like a, a weird thing to say, but it did.
0: I think it was a make or break year for many couples being mm-hmm. locked down together and you can't escape each other. You can either decide that you're done with each mm-hmm. other or that you're going to try to be friends again right like you said
1: yeah you're right It is. it was it was be friends that's huge because we weren't even friends we weren't even cool with each other
0: right and that was the the foundation of your relationship yeah. back then I mean you just took me on a wild ride and thank you for <laughs> for being vulnerable about Kai mm-hmm. and and really mm-hmm. sharing that because I obviously remember you sharing that very openly and vulnerably on Instagram, but it kind of hits differently to obviously hear the context of it and, and what it meant for your marriage, that it was this rebirth of your marriage and then you take that away. So not only are you grieving the most horrible thing that can happen Mm -hmm. to a young adult, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. one of the worst things. And Grieving is so exhausting. I mean, I've I've never it's had. It's not a... always bad. Yeah, like sometimes
1: it's like, oh, I'm
0: I, like I miss this person,
1: and then sometimes it's like, I can't live without them. I'm gonna die. Like I have these moments, these waves of just like, I'm fine today, and then I have these moments where I'm sitting there and I'm like, what is life? I don't even want to do this. I don't even want to do this without that little baby here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's tiring.
0: It's a tiring journey. Still yeah. on it. Still oh, on the um, still on the journey. Oh, I'm sure it's been what? Four years, not even, right? This year would be five
1: years. It's just like okay. time just goes crazy, right? So it'll be five years this August that he was born and, and that he passed. And um, you know, I think the hard part about it is it's like if we would have had a baby in these five years that would have, I don't want to say replace, but that would have taken that mental space for us to like you know like oh now we have a new kid that we have to like really like give our attention to um so being in the throes of infertility and fertility treatments and seeing your friends have babies and see people you know just continue to live life I think that's been the most difficult thing for us it's like we're stuck in this time warp meanwhile the world is going on around us so we had to make a decision like, are we going to live in this time warp or are we going to just live life? And I think we, like I said, yesterday we had a conversation and we decided like, we're, we're just going to live life. Let the universe do what it does.
0: Are you still actively on a fertility journey?
1: So it's a good question. Um, we are, okay. So last year was really trying. We were going through a bunch of fertility treatments. Um, As you know, like in 2020, all elective treatments were canceled just because we didn't know enough about COVID to be. So um, that took one year of my fertility life away. Um, You know, being 35 at the time, that was like, you already geriatric. Like once you hit 34,
0: you're geriatric, right? right? (laughs) Yeah, I know all about it. So, So
1: being 35 and having that taken away was a really emotional experience for me because I really wanted to just dive headfirst into just like baby making. Um, I felt like I was at that place where I was like, okay, we're good. Let's do it. I'm um, going spend a lot of time. My body's good. It was working. Um, and then 35 came. So did the pandemic and I gained 20 pounds. My body stopped working like it should. And 36, we said, okay, we're going to start again at the top of the year. My doctors were like, you know, you can lose a little weight. And I was like, okay, but uh, can I still have babies? And we're like, yes, your eggs are good. Things are healthy. So I'm grateful to God for that. Like both of our reproductive organs are healthy, but we spent all of last year and a lot of finances trying to do that. So this year was a little challenging because now we have a 12 year old who needs braces. We have a roof that needs to be fixed. We have other financial commitments, you know, retirement is looming. And so we are not actively, and this is the first time I'm saying it out loud, we're not actively going through fertility treatments, but we have decided to just leave it to chance and i say this because we know that physically our bodies are capable it's just that it would be nicer to just have science do the work for us and not have to um rely so much on chance so no short short answer no we are not actively doing any fertility treatments as of this moment
0: i think that's such an interesting sort of paradox right because having gone through the fertility journey in my mm-hmm. now the marriage that is now no longer just the you do all the things right you do all the science you you find the doctor you time mm-hmm. it you get the shots you do yep. the blood work you like i think we have a tendency in the world that we live in that we get a little arrogant as human beings and think we can control everything right and, that's the part and obviously like thank god for modern medicine and you know, yep. humanity has made so many advancements, but yep. there is still a miracle that needs to happen for That's the part. A little soul to decide to yep. to come here. I remember just like, okay, we did all of that. We spent thirty thousand dollars, yep. and <laughs> and everything is set up. Really, all that had to happen was for the amb- embryo to latch on to a perfectly yeah. fine uterus, yeah, and it didn't happen. And now, obviously for me in hindsight, I think that saved me spiritually and all that. So that's, that's a whole other story. So either way, right. And it's, it's funny for me being in relationship with women when I say, Mm -hmm. well, if it's meant to be, it'll, it'll happen. It's kind of funny because we can't just practice and (laughs) hope that something happens, but there is. Like I said, even still with going through fertility treatments, it still just has to happen. So there's a level. And there's of- always chance. And it's funny that you mentioned that
1: because I think people get the idea that you just you do IVF and it works. Um, people who have not been through fertility treatments, right? They're like, well, why don't you just do IVF? And you're like, well, fifteen thousand dollars later. For a cycle that could potentially fail because it's only like what 25% chance it's which which is up from naturally every month what do we have like a 15% chance to get pregnant if your body is working like it should so you're only increasing your chances by maybe like 20% at best right but 10% literally at like the normal level yeah and so you know like you said there still needs to be divine intervention for it to occur. There is no such thing as life coming on its own. And I know, you know, it's taboo to say it that way. Like we can employ all the science and we have. So we know for a fact, right? We've done all the things and we know that like, I can take all the injections. My hormones can be just right. I can get the sonogram that says that I have four follicles that are ready to be released. And then nothing after the two week wait. So, yeah, it was it's tiring. It's tiring. I'm I'm living life just waiting to have a baby. And I feel like I'm missing out on traveling. I'm missing out on the years that my son is, you know, in his prime of life and he's getting to learn new things. So, yeah, we just decided, like, you know, it's for the best. But I feel bad for my husband. Right. I feel bad for us in general, but I feel bad for him because he has devoted his last 10 years to taking care of a child Mm. like it is his and then the opportunity that he was given to have his own was taken away. So, you know, that's a, it's a hard, it's a hard reality to deal with.
0: Well, who knows? Maybe now that you've made the decision to live life and, and travel again, maybe you, <laughs> yep. you guys are going to go on a beautiful trop- tropical vacation, <laughs> have a few cocktails. That's right. A couple of drinks. Send miles and miles um... to the pool. You know what I'm saying? <laughs>
1: and that's how life happens right life happens when we least expect it but that's what we I think that's where we that's where we landed we know it's possible and if it's meant to be right because we want to because the will the divine will has to be there as well for that to occur and so now we just have to leave it leave it to chance we can't obsess over it because it 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 will cripple you if that's where you live you know
0: it it takes over your life Mm -hmm. you being a woman of faith and and Mm -hmm. believing in the universe and divine Mm -hmm. will do you have a relationship with your son kai who was only with you for two weeks do you have a a relationship with his soul his spirit i think i'm very i think my husband does i think i
1: i'm i'm still practicing avoidance when it Mm -hmm. comes to that for me I the the day he was born, I didn't go to see him. Obviously, I was like recovering from surgery, but I didn't go see him intentionally because I somewhere deep inside, I just knew that this wasn't going to end well. Um, mm-hmm. Like I wanted it to, obviously. Like nobody want like I, I nobody wants to be a pessimist, but like, well, me and my kid's gonna die. But um, I didn't think it was going to end well, so I kind of just let Kesley navigate that space of caring for him and being there for him. And when I I I didn't bond with Kyle until the day he died. And that was like, I was pumping breast milk. I was making sure that I talked to his nurses and doctors. So like, I was engaged, but not with him. Like I had never Mm -hmm. held him. I had never tried to like, interact with him. I I kept seeing him as this baby that was like, it felt like it, out of body in utero experience. Like I was like, there's my baby, right? Like I can't talk to him or hold him because if I was pregnant, I couldn't do that anyway. So I'm going to keep acting as if like, he's just in this incubator. He's, and Kesley would like touch him and hold him and talk to him. And so their bond was very strong. I bonded with him the day he died. I remember coming in there and he was, he, well, he was fully alive obviously that day and Miles met him for the first time. And we like Chit-chatted and I was like, Oh my god, like look at you, you opening your eyes, and like had this whole interaction with him that I had never had before. And I was like, Mommy, will be back later. I'm gonna punch like that's the moment that I felt like, wow, I had a baby. Mm-hmm. And it was that evening that I got the phone call that we needed to come in right away because he was in cardiac arrest and they were performing these life-saving measures on him. So much so that the minute that his his he, he wasn't flat, he didn't hadn't flatlined yet. But the, the neonatologist was doing chest compression, chest compressions. And I was like, can I just hold him? Because I, I knew deep down, like he was not going to survive that mm-hmm. um, at the time. I think he had just made almost two pounds. And when people hear that, two pounds, I think, um, they don't think that it's a fully cooked human being, but he was already like a baby with 10 fingers, 10 toes, two Mm -hmm. eyes, one nose, like he was growing, you know, he was eating, he was pooping, he had a little diaper, I remember those things, he had a pacifier, and I asked to hold him, and I think that that was the moment that I was like, dang, I should have done this before, and so now he sits in a little urn, and I see pictures of him, I think of him, but I don't have like I feel like I I like a thing that like I feel like if I don't make it real and if I don't miss him regularly, then I feel okay. Yeah. Um, but I always get this like and 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 it never fails. I I don't see butterflies regularly. Do you see butterflies often?
0: Not in not no, in New right? York City. Right?
1: No. <laughs> right. and and I and I live maybe thirty minutes adjacent from New York City, and I see butterflies all the time. And there's this, there's this genuine feeling that that is, and it's always at a time when I'm sad or going through something and this fluttering butterfly would just, you know, just come up and sit someplace. And I'm like, is that you little baby? Like, do you know your mom needs you? So I don't know if I have a, a, Maybe I do now that I'm thinking back. I don't know if I've forged an actual connection with him. I know my husband does for, for certain. I know that they have their, I know that he feels his presence, I guess. I don't know if that sounds weird to say. It does not. So I can't say that I have, but again, like there cardinals that sit on my porch cardinals are not birds that just sit any place like they come and they fly away I have cardinals that stay near my house I have this bunny rabbit that comes he lives in my lawn he lives on my landscaping and like he comes there for hours at a time not every day but it's the same rabbit and he sits in the same place and it's just like is that you little baby so I don't know I grew up knowing that heaven is a place and that we will see our loved ones again so I guess I just look forward to that moment to that time you know and maybe I need to do some some soul searching and see maybe if I'm maybe that connection will help me in this life so
0: that's a good one or maybe how you've been navigating your grief is exactly perfect that could be right like you know to each his own wow that that question I didn't expect for that question to
1: bring up that emotion
0: well yeah well, I've had chills for the last half hour, mm-hmm. and it's not because it's cold outside. So, <laughs> thank you for for being so open. That's yeah, of course it's a beautiful thing. Of course, I don't know how to segue out of that. <laughs> I know <laughs> that's now, a like, tough one. I don't have that podcasting skill yet to make uh, segue out of that. Well,
1: now for an advertisement,
0: right? yeah, commercial break. Like, <laughs> Oh wait.
1: <laughs> now for commercial break. Yeah. You gotta. But yeah, I mean, Kai's life, even though it was short, it it like it tr- it transformed me in a lot of ways. And I didn't think I was resilient at all. Like my mother calls me a crybaby. She says that I like I you um she's like you start crying for everything. Like I do, I'm a huge crybaby. But just in the process of preparing a funeral for a baby and navigating going back to work. Not having taken full maternity leave, but going back to work after the loss of your child and then having to navigate the space with your coworkers that are like, uh, yeah, I was pregnant, but oh, my God. kid is not Yeah. Thank God I did have some folks that that, that ran interference for me. Um, You know, I texted them the, the minute he died. I was like, hey, look, you know, he passed away. I need you to mitigate all that. If somebody asks you how I'm doing... You know, let them know that you know this, and so I, I, I think I had a fair time. But I remember one interaction where I was going to the cafeteria, going to get some coffee. I'm thinking I'm, I'm healed, I'm good, I'm, I'm tough, I'm strong, and my beautiful young lady was like, "Oh my God, it's so good to see you!" and you know, she didn't know how far along I was and she just knew I was pregnant, you know, and naturally so like that was a little round. So maybe that could have gave it away. And I remember stopping in my track. I felt like the wind has been knocked out of me. Like now there's no segue (laughs) like, oh no, he died. He's not here anymore. You know, like how you make somebody feel like crap like that. It has shown me that I'm much stronger than I thought I was. I, there are a lot of days that I want to sit and wallow and cry, but I have a beautiful 12-year-old son who needs me to be at my best. He requires and demands a lot of attention now. And raising a Black boy in today's climate is increasingly difficult. Um, We live in a largely Caucasian neighborhood. So that is culture shock for me. You know me. I'm very Brooklyn, very, very Brooklyn. Born and raised and, you know, went to college in Brooklyn. So coming to the Burbs in New Jersey and not being surrounded by people who look like me has been a challenge. And and so raising a son to navigate this who has not had the experience that I had of being in an urban setting where people look like him um, has been challenging. So um, all the experiences that I had around losing my son have taught me how to be a better parent how to be a better you know how to how to roll, roll with the punches how to not fall over and fall out over you know things that you know could be hard and it just taught me to just teach myself like i can do hard things um raising a 12 year old is a hard thing <laughs> so
0: yes.
1: that's my mantra and you know like uh, i don't i don't talk about miles enough and i know that it's it, like Sometimes I feel bad about it. I don't talk about Miles enough, but he's such a blessing. He's such a, you know, I talk about grieving the loss of my son, but I don't talk about how beautiful it is to have a reminder that miracles do happen, that he that life is possible. And Miles came at a time in my life when I didn't think I was ready. I think I had just come like two two years of college, I think it was. Yeah. I was 24. Thought I had met the love of my life. Really, really was like into this guy. He was older. So I was like, you know. (laughs) i'm grown now y'all like i'm dating this guy that's like like how old i was 22 so he had to be like 26 and you know i thought that was like something but in reality he was not and you know what that's (laughs) that's like a precursor into like girl six five ain't your type like six <laughs> five is what you like but that's not your type this small five well um my sense father is five nine um I don't want to give it away too much because you're not know, trying to respect his privacy but he's five nine dark complexion so a lot of it's just fun fact one time he came to a game that miles had out here in New Jersey I think it was a soccer game and or maybe it was football and my husband and my son's father look very much alike Mm. and someone was like Jamie I think your husband's brother just pulled up Um, and so I had to like navigate my space out of that because you know what in like these communities I mean it's not taboo because it happens a lot like everybody got a stepfather or whatever the case is but nobody, like, you know, like, the baby daddy situation is not as popular here, like, most people marry who they're gonna have kids with, and they have kids with them, so, like, me letting folks know, like, Kessley's not Miles' biological dad, that guy right there is, the guy that looks exactly like him, yeah, that's it, so, anyway, he's not 6'5", and I thought I was in love with him, he was the bee's knees to me, he's a great guy. I tell people all the time, we did not work out romantically, but we came together to create the best thing in the world. Um, And of course, that is the person who is coming down the stairs (laughs) behind me. But yeah, that relationship taught me so much about myself too, because it was like, am I really staying here because we have this child on the way? Or am I genuinely, like, is this the person for me? And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for the fruit of that union, but I'm so grateful that I decided to get up out of there, girl, because it was not, like, it wasn't that it was bad. It just wasn't, like, I couldn't see myself living that forever. Like, I would have been miserable if I would have stayed with someone who at the time was not ambitious, who didn't have very many goals, who wasn't loving or romantic or who didn't reciprocate my kindness. Not that he was mean, you know, I just like to clarify that because I don't like people to think that like, I have this tumultuous relationship with my son's father. We do not, we are trying to navigate. Nobody knows what co-parenting is like because nobody's ever done it with the person that they had the kid with before, right? So it's a learning journey. We have a 12 year old son together who we, like my son has two amazing fathers and he is not the was not always the greatest, but I see him trying. And so um, Miles is fortunate. Miles is fortunate to be able to have two people who he can say are his dad's. Again, the dynamic between the two are very different. However, I do see my son's father now being more, his biological father being more, he's trying. And I know for some women, they'll be like, well, it's 12 years too late. But for me, I believe in giving grace. Mm-hmm. I believe in extending that to people and understanding that who you were 10 years ago is not who you're going to be now. And I know people have this, people think of me like, oh, well, that's stupid girl. Like you, he should be doing blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, but what if he was doing that begrudgingly? am I helping him to love his son and appreciate all the great things about him? Or am I forcing this relationship on him that he's not ready to navigate, that he's not ready to like deal with, and then he's going to be resentful. So now they have this, they're figuring it out. You know, my son is 12. He is fully capable of talking and navigating on his own. But yeah, I don't remember why I started talking about that, but I'm just going to say that Miles is the best thing that ever happened to us and he's taught us so much and that like, I often dwell, that's the tieback, I often dwell on the bad part of child loss but it Mm -hmm. helped me to realize some beautiful things like I do have a beautiful son who is thriving and who is beautiful and you know just helping him navigate this world that's my job now until who knows
0: I mean it looks like he's doing extremely well he looks like he's 12 going on 30 so he must be (laughs) doing something right I mean I think I might get the
1: baller in my house that I wanted but but it's just not (laughs) I think that um he he's a huge sports fan, which is something that I'm not like. I love the joy in sports and the cheering on of sports. But I could not tell you what a goal from a home run to a touchdown was a couple years ago, because I was just like, oh, isn't that the thing when they get like a like a three point? And it like my miles my, is like, mommy, a goal is for soccer. A touchdown is for football. And so he is incredibly gifted and i say that with total confidence that he's gonna be great and i don't i don't know i like you know when your kid is great like you know when your kid is bad like it was like when he was playing basketball i was like baby that ain't for you that's not (laughs) you're not gonna be a point guard but you can be a good commentator you know what i'm saying like but he he'll be a great qb He'll be a great, I mean, he's, he's a phenomenal football player. And I think that that's his, that's his niche. That's his window of opportunity. So I'm just hoping that we do what we can. I mean, he loves baseball too. He's a great baseball player. So we got, we got options and that's my job. My job is to just cultivate. Like I asked him yesterday, if he wanted to do track and field, he was like, no, thank you. I was like, okay, fine. You know what I mean? But I want him to try all the things.
0: Tell me about your energy as a mom on the sidelines. Are you just out there hype woman
1: or? (laughs) what so you know i don't really understand the game i don't really understand the game all the time like football this this past season last year was the first time that i could tell you what's the thing called they told me they taught me oh no that's baseball but anyway to make (laughs) they taught me how to count the yards i know that um i know how to i know interceptions i know a couple plays so like as a mom okay my energy here though is matched like some places you go it, it, like in, in college it was unmatched like there was nobody cheered more than me except for the cheer leaders and the or the dance team out here this is football town okay they treat these games like it is a nfl you know matchup so because i don't know much about the game i don't really know how to get excited like at particular times like <laughs> whatever but i'm always just like hype just always just ready go <laughs> And they be like, Jamie's not his turn. I be like, it's okay. <laughs> so as a mom, I just want him to know that I'm fully supportive and you know, just fully engaged. I guess
0: is that world of athletics of football is that a place where there's a bit more diversity than let's say per se in huh. your direct neighborhood? So
1: that's a good question, and the answer is no. The team is largely composed of the town makeup. A lot, a lot of the folks in this town are first responders. And, you know, they want their sons to play football. And so for a long time, it was very elitist, very cliquish. It was like, if you weren't the son of X, or if you weren't this person, you know, so my son and another young man became the first two, I think, let me, let me not say that, but like one of a handful, they were like a handful of brown kids who played for the town and so I think that they would get overlooked often because parents like I said it's a huge football town here and so people were super 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 like I want my son to play I want to see my son start um and I, I didn't again I didn't know enough about the game to know like how to foster like oh yeah well he, I think Mouse has the skill set and so no there's minimal diversity on the field and it's not the same though, when we go to other towns, other towns, there's tons of diversity in other places. I just think that my town just has a, a long way to go. But I think slowly but surely we're getting there. They just build out, build up some new complexes not too far down, which is encouraging a lot of uh, diversity because a lot of folks are moving in from the city. So I think we'll get there. And thankfully, my son's teammates. Those are some of his best friends. Those are kids that I see often. I hear him talking to them often. I know their parents and they're, they're good people. They come from good stock. So, you know, whereas the town is a larger issue, that small microcosm or that small group is, is actually been pretty good and pretty supportive. So, you know, still helping him navigate his blackness. You know, I say that loud because it just passed me, but uh, how, how still do you ha- navigate helping him navigate that? That. How do you navigate blackness? I think it's easier for me, like I said, because as an adult, I grew up around you're like you remember what college looked like. I mean, yes, our school was diverse. Right. Our college was diverse. However, it was a little bit like, you know, like these people here, these people here. But growing up in Brooklyn, like, I, oh, I mean, you know, I was surrounded by diversity. We had the Latinos, the Haitians, the Guyanese, the Jamaicans, Trinidadians, you know what I'm saying? Got some Dominicans, you know what I'm saying? So we, So we had that little bit of diversity and I had teachers who were white. So I guess I knew how to navigate those spaces with them. But um, for him, helping him understand where well, he doesn't have any teachers of color, he has very few classmates of color. And only in this last year, I think he told me that he has like two new classmates that are black or brown. And for a while, I remember one time he told me, he was like, um, why doesn't my hair swing? <laughs> and I was like, baby. <laughs> like, I, he was like, can I put gel in my hair? And I was like, I mean, you can, but (laughs) do you want to, like, you know what I mean? And helping him understand that he's beautiful and that he's capable and that he's talented and that he's everything that his friends are. He's just a different color, but also helping him understand that you need to be better than them by far, because, you know, we've had experiences here where people don't think that we are their equivalent or their counterpart. And (laughs) I, I told him, I was like you are just as good, if not better, right? You come from the same stock. You come from a home where there are two parents there. We are intentional about parenting you. There's nothing that you lack that they have. Like we're all on the same scale. Like we live in the same neighborhood as them in a house up the street. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to feel, so he's getting it little by little. Um, And I think thankfully we've had such a boost of black pride on the television in our sports in our movies in the news so i think he's he's understanding what it what it is to be proud of his blackness and that he feels like he's an equivalent especially in the season that he just had um in football he was you know people folks were affirming that he's great and invalidating his talent despite him not looking like what the best qb last year looked like you know what i mean it's a journey, it's a process. I mean, I'm learning how to navigate my Blackness in the white space. I always have, right? When I worked at previous jobs, I had to, my, my coworker calls me Rashida. She goes, turn off. She's like, I want you to give us Rashida today. Or, you know, she'll be like, <laughs> um, because there are times when like I, I, like, I do voiceover work sometimes for like, you know, my colleagues and they're like, hey, Jamie, can you do this voiceover work? And then I'm reading a script and it's like, something about, you know, science is like, hi, click there, turn this to, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And they're like, we don't want your voiceover voice. Like we want, you know, we want the authentic and true you. And I'm learning how to temper the overtly Brooklyn Jamie sometimes and, and just being, but still being authentic. So it's a, it's a process learning how to be black in white spaces, learning how to be black amongst black people who think that you are, you've been in white spaces too long. You know what I mean? Right. So, so many things, but I do, I'm derailing the conversation, but yeah.
0: No, you're not. No, there's no, there's no track to be on, so you can't derail it. But (laughs) I know it's obviously not your job as a black woman to educate Mm -hmm. white people and Mm -hmm. combat racism. Yeah. But do you feel like your presence in the town in the football community. Do you feel like it has helped? Have you shown some white huh. folks that maybe had some preconceived notions about a Black family that you are just the same? I think that,
1: I don't think we've ever, I, I don't think I've attempted to, but I think I've, I've made my presence felt and I let, and and I, I don't temper who I am around any of them. I give them the same energy that I give you, that I give, you know, some of my close friends, you know, when I'm talking to them on the phone, like, so I, I don't, I don't want to fall into the, like the stereotypical versions of who I can be. Obviously, like when I'm around folks from Brooklyn, I am Brooklyn, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But around them, like I, they know that I'm a professional, like I am not what they would deem or whatever they're. Stereotypes are. I'm a professional. I'm married. I just like you. I, I pay a mortgage. I pay property tax. And my goal is to to raise a child that is a good citizen or a good being in this world. And I think I've made that clear. And I think that I started to realize once the parents started trusting me with their kids to just like, can you pick so and so up? Can you drop so and so off? And let me know that they that whatever was there before, right? We had experiences where people wouldn't invite Miles to birthday parties or wouldn't include him in certain groups, or they'd exclude themselves from X group because he was a part of it. Mm. So we've we've dealt with that. Of course, Miles was much smaller, so it was easier to navigate, but just saying, oh, you know, so-and-so didn't, you know, but I don't know, whatever. Last, in 2020 was difficult with the killing of George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor. It was tough because it was tense because they knew it was happening, but they didn't know what to say. One of my very, very good friends and neighbors, she couldn't even look me in the face, because it was like that's all that the news was talking about mm-hmm. and it would have been and she would have been remiss and and I mean maybe in in the sense she was remiss because she couldn't bring it up she couldn't talk about it and i know that she's not racist but i do know that they have some prejudices a lot mm-hmm. of them they've not grown up with people who look like us and again when I, we came to this neighborhood we were the black family in the town there are, there were others like there's a gentleman who lives up the street he's married to a a wonderful i think italian woman but his children are mixed. And it's funny enough, uh, one of his daughters, she and I had a conversation and she was like, I've always felt like the other, mm-hmm. you know? Like, and, and, you know, and she even said like, you know, my dad didn't understand what my blackness meant to me because to him, it was not like, there was no such thing as like race. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think that I, I've tried to make it a point to be authentic, to show people that we are just like you. But it's tough because you have people with generations of like preconceived notions about what living amongst Black people are like, mm-hmm. um, and they had to unlearn those, and they had to learn those, unlearn those things around uh, my family and I. So,
0: yeah. Oh, I'm so grateful for my time at at St. Francis in Brooklyn. I mean i've I've made such incredible connections and friendships with people that <clears throat> otherwise I would have never been exposed to right my one a margie mm-hmm. still to this day i consider mm-hmm. her sister she's a dominican who mm-hmm. grew yep. up in, in washington <laughs> heights you know and mm-hmm. basically the bronx for the people who don't know yep. who don't know new york <laughs> mm-hmm. and i was given i mean we joked about it in the beginning but i was given i think a lot of grace because those were simpler times because I yep. my ass would probably be canceled for cultural appropriation today <laughs> if I acted the way, you know, I acted back then. But that's so crazy, right? Like I I never even thought about it that way. Yeah, but it, it really it was living a sensitive culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was such a gift to me. I mean, I <laughs> I remember. Do you remember when I got my hair braided when I got cornrows? Sure and did. I sure did. Didn't
1: think anything of it though
0: yeah right i remember mm-hmm. walking into the the braiding shop though on, on fulton street and i walked in there and they're like are you are you picking up a friend got <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll <get> some cornrows <laughs> Can't get some braids man. <laughs> right and you know today you have adele what was it a year ago or something she posted that that picture with with her braids and and people wanted to cancel her and i'm like what you know, so it's, it's a tricky, it's mm-hmm. a tricky space. So I, I obviously can't relate to, you know, what it's like being the only black But you're so fortunate, that... but you're so fortunate to have
1: had that, like, that was like a, like a complete immersion, right? Like, like granted, like, it wasn't like St. Francis was so black that like, or Hispanic that there weren't any other white people to like, to like, you know, interact with, but we never even, I don't think we ever even thought like, oh, cat is white. It was a like cat from Germany, and she's six eight. Like, like those, like that. Like, I think that was the extent of like how you were different from us. You know what I mean? But you were, I mean, at like once you once we learned who you were, it was like, oh, this is our friend cat. Yes. Like it wasn't like, oh, here's our white friend. That like I don't, cause I mean we used to go downtown Brooklyn and like walk around, and I never even thought like people would be like, oh, who's this white person? It was like more like oh, who's this. Tall woman. That was it. Like you know what I mean. So I, I thank God for that. That experience that you had, and we just we, like I think back then we just gave people grace.
0: You we know what I mean, and we had we fun. We grace. had fun with it almost, right? Because it's like, yo, Kat, yeah, stay black at heart. Like, yeah, today, yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be problematic. <laughs> Taboo. You cannot.
1: Say, like you cannot say that. I'm like, why? Why can't you say that? You know what I mean? Um, even Ke- even Kessley and I were talking about homophobia in the black community and how folks well and and not even homophobia let me not say that how we would make jokes about you know people being gay and Mm -hmm. you know not not to offend or hurt anybody but at that time it was just kind of like if you roasting somebody be like oh no that's why you whatever
0: Mm -hmm. now
1: you know I, I like I was telling him he was listening to something and I was like hmm, that's offensive I told him that's offensive and he was like really you think so and I was like yeah like and why would why you know why why could they say he was like yo it's it's a it's battle rap they just they roast in each other you know what I mean Mm -hmm. but again like we live in a different climate and culture and we just have Mm -hmm. to be more intentional about what we say how we say it and it's true like even the slightest notion of something that may sound a little homophobic like I'm glad that we're nipping things in the bud because those are things that persist back in the day that created all these stereotypes and all these different spaces where people couldn't navigate. You know, I don't talk about this often, but my my sister-in-law is transgendered. Mm-hmm. And that was a learning experience for me because I think it was a learning experience for all of us, right? Like, you know, we grew up in a very traditional Christian background and, you know, we all know what most Christians believe. I mean, my mother always taught me that First John 4, 7 and 8 says, you know, beloved, let us love one another for lovers of God. And anyone that loves is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God for God is love, right? I mean, I personally believe that just means you love everybody. You yes. love them despite what you think is a flaw or a fault. Because nobody, none of us are doing anything that's like right, right, lying, and being whatever we think is wrong. It's the same thing. It's it, Don't do it. You know what I mean? So you know, I I always grew up. You know, my mother has always taught me like you love you love the person, not their. The, that that thing that you think that is is wrong, right? And we don't judge, we don't look at people. We're not God. And unlearning certain things about what I thought the transgender community was was it was it was challenging. I think for all of us, for my husband and I, like being transitioning from calling my sister in law by her given name to her preferred name now or her name now, using the correct pronouns. Those were all things, and 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 I appreciate her because she's given us grace. She's giving us a lot of grace. You know what I mean? Like, oops, sorry, I don't mean this. I mean right. that, you know what I mean? And I, and I just say that to say like, it's good that we calling people out on their stuff, but I think there's always more room to educate people on things that we don't know. Cause a lot of it is just ignorance, right? We're just not sure how to be, how to react, how to respond. And my sister-in-law is in a beautiful relationship with her partner. They recently got engaged. So we're excited about that. I mean, she's done so many beautiful things with her life in the body that she believes she should be in. And one might say that whether that's right or wrong, or I'm just happy to be a part of the space that gets to understand more about it. And again, what I think doesn't matter. It's really just her being happy and healthy and in a space where she can do that. So just going back to like being Black in white spaces or being queer in, you know, hetero spaces, we're all, we just got a lot to learn. So.
0: Yeah, well, and it's there's the needing to call people out or in or whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it and educating people and holding them accountable. And then there's Mm -hmm. giving grace and 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 knowing that even though they feel like they're on opposite ends, that's a paradox. They can exist at the same time. Yep, it's a tug of war. And I think, you know, like you said, I've I've recently been on a bit of a of a spiritual journey. So the whole concept of, of love is God. And when we remember that we are love, we're at our mm-hmm. highest self and yeah. that's when we don't judge and that's when we can give grace. And that's when we, mm-hmm. when we can receive criticism and know that the other yeah. person isn't trying to come at us, they're trying to connect and contribute to yep. our, growth, part. our healing yep. and I heal you, heal, I grow, you grow, we grow together. And maybe little by little this world becomes a better place. It becomes a
1: better place. And you know, my husband and I sit in a place where we will, you know, we believe, we have our beliefs and we believe what we believe. However, we think that it's more important to extend, like if if we say that we love God and that we are followers of His, you know, followers of Jesus Christ it's important to emulate that right like we know that Jesus was at the well talking to this to this woman who wasn't you know what I'm saying like who in other cultures would people have be like mm, Jesus she had died. you know you gotta you gotta stay clear of that right but Jesus was out there like you know picking up people off the road and be like yo come with me and be a disciple
0: people mm-hmm. who not
1: ne- who weren't necessarily the epitome of what people thought, you know, Jesus was the son of God. Like, ooh, you royalty. Like, you are. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you up a crust, and here you at turning water into wine at weddings and <laughs> and doing those kind of things. But it just shows you, like, if I'm if I want to be Christ-like, then I gotta say, like. I'm consorting with all the folks. I'm having relationships with everybody because the goal is for them to see Christ through me and know that I love you. I appreciate you. I, you know, like I appreciate your journey. I don't know if this is something that I could live in or indulge in, but listen, teach me, help me understand, help me navigate. And I just want people to see me for that. Just somebody who loves everybody, um, no matter what the circumstances, because you know, I, I don't I don't know people's journey. I don't I don't know people. people what people had to go through to get to where they're at. So I just am grateful to have a space in people's lives where they feel like Jamie gets it. I might not get it. I tell you right now, I might not get it all the time. But I'm blessed to be able to have friends like you who allow me into their lives and share with me and teach me more. So
0: there's that. And same. So. I mean, I think that's a good place to to wrap it up because I, I yeah. feel like we've been on a, <laughs> on a journey here, a beautiful one. And I have one more question for you. Ask me away and I won't ramble, tell and me. And <laughs> that is, Jamie, what has this conversation taught you about yourself?
1: Oddly enough, it really showed me that I want to be in a place to help people and help them through my experience and through things I've gone through. So if anybody's listening that has ever gone through anything remotely close or traumatic or you know, I want to be a resource. And I think that so often I put on a different form of myself, not put on because I, I I'm multifaceted, but I think quite often I'm always funny. I'm always laughing, but there's this side of me that, you know, I've gone through grief. I've gone through hurt. I've gone through potential divorce. I've experienced infidelity. I've experienced heartbreak. I've, I've experienced so many things that I know so many people in the world can identify with. And this conversation has just taught me that I need to just do more of sharing my story and having these conversations with people because it could be helpful.
0: Amen to that. thank you for sharing today and for taking time out of your day and for being with me it's of course been beautiful and what a way to kick off this podcast journey for me because for we haven't mentioned this yet i don't think this is my very first recording and i i wouldn't have wanted to do it with anyone else so thank you i love you so much
1: i appreciate you and i wish you nothing but success this is the first of a long line of podcast episodes and you're going to be successful because you just are so i love you thank you so much for bringing me into your space and allowing me to share and again i hope that this is helpful
0: and i love you right back and i definitely know it's helpful so we're going to we're going to change the world baby that's it one one conversation at a time exactly All right. Thank you, Jamie.